Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This podcast brought to you by Gowan Canada, makers of Edge Microactive Pre-Emergent Herbicide. Welcome to Saskatchewan Agriculture Today. I'm Tanner Wallace-Scribner. Saskatchewan Agriculture Today is brought to you by Harvard Western Insurance. We don't judge. Here's another reminder to renew your plates today. Visit harvardwestern.com and brought to you by Arcola Co-op. You're at home here on Highway 13 in Arcola. On today's show, we're going to have a reaction from last week's federal, provincial, and territorial Ag Minister's meeting. We're also going to hear about how technology is changing the game for bison producers here in the province, and an update on grain shipments out of the Ukraine. We'll have that and more, as well as the farm weather market update and resource report in their usual spots. Tanner Wallace-Scribner filling in for Jim Smalley for this week. This portion of Saskatchewan Agriculture Today is brought to you by Johnston's Grain. Your first and last stop for grain pricing and crop protection. And brought to you by Farm Fresh Water. They'll make your water well wonderful and your dugout drinkable. Get your farm fresh water today at farmfreshwater.ca. Prairie farm organizations were generally pleased with the new five-year sustainable Canadian agriculture partnership. The partnership was reached at last week's Federal Provincial Territorial Ag Minister's meeting in Saskatoon. There was some acrimony, however, with certain aspects of the agreement. APAS Vice President Bill Probiski chaired the APAS Task Force on the next Ag Policy Framework. He is concerned that producers will be required to meet environmental reporting requirements to access agri-invest coverage. I believe it's a dangerous precedent that is that is being set that uh, that could lead to some very, very unwanted consequences down the road. Dangerous in what regard? Well, I think just the fact that they're tying environmental issues to agriculture issues, and, and we firmly believe that those are two very separate, very separate issues that should not be tied together. You know, we've seen in uh, examples in Europe where, where this is, you know, this is probably where they were 20 years ago, and now we see the unrest that is unfolding in Europe now because of environmental issues being placed on the backs of, of producers. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I think it's just a start of a, of a, uh, a path that we don't want to go down. He says they were caught off guard with the announcement. There was some talk of there being some, some sort of an environmental... Um, link, but uh, exactly what it was going to be, we had no idea, and uh, yeah, certainly we were we were somewhat surprised that this is where it ended up. Um, you know, all, like I said, all along, APAS has has uh, advocated that the the two issues are very separate and should not be tied together. The federal government dropped another bombshell at the agriculture minister's meeting in Saskatoon. The federal government says it is committed to reducing greenhouse gas emissions from fertilizer use by 30 percent by 2030. Probilski says producers were not consulted. As far as I'm, as far as I know, there was no consultation with farm groups, and you know, setting a target is one thing, but if if we're talking about 
if we're talking about um, you know reducing emissions from point A to point B, and we don't know where point A is, like how do we even establish a baseline? There's there's no science behind behind establishing that baseline, and you know how do how do we how do we judge where we're going if we don't know where we've been? If you are, it's our understanding that they're they're using fertilizer sales as a baseline, and and we we know that that's not an accurate you know an accurate baseline. It they're not taking into consideration when the fertilizer is applied, or or how it's applied, or what kind of fertilizer is applied, and all all those factors are, are very relevant into terms of emissions. But, but I don't know that the matrix has been established to to determine a baseline or to measure future emissions either. A report from Myers Norris Penny, commissioned by Fertilizer Canada, estimates a 30% reduction in fertilizer emissions by 2030 could cost farmers nearly 48 billion dollars. In a time when the world needs the grain that we produce here in Canada. And our, our hands are being tied as to how much we can produce as if if in fact we have to cut back on the fertilizer usage, that is gonna affect our yields drastically. You know, with a thirty percent reduction in fertilizer usage is probably gonna translate into about a fifty percent reduction in yield and the the world just can't afford to not have that production available to those that need it. That was APAS's vice president, Bill Prubisky. This portion is brought to you by Prairie 6-inch Eavestroffs. An inch makes a big difference. PrairieEavestroffs.ca and Prairie Co-op Grow Team. Fueling farms and feeding families in Cupar, Ituma, Lipton and Strasburg. As part of a new five-year sustainable Canadian agriculture partnership, the federal government has set a target for a 30% reduction in fertilizer emissions by 2030. The impact on farmers is immense. Fertilizer Canada commissioned Myers Norris Penny to do a study on the impact of a 30% reduction target. Karen Proud is the president and CEO of Fertilizer Canada. We uh, went to a very reputable um, firm to, to do the report. At the time, because we didn't have details from the government's proposal, we looked at what the Europeans were doing. We hired uh, this firm to do a report, and they based it on, on the European um, uh, position. And the results, uh, top-line result, was that over the course of the time it would take to reduce those emissions, if that was even possible, it would cost growers nearly $48 billion. That's billion with a B. Um, so obviously uh, sounding the alarm last year, and, and we've continued since then uh, working with the government to try and discuss what, uh, what could be achievable. Proud says Fertilizer Canada has made its case to the federal government that reducing fertilizer emissions by 30% would have severe consequences for farmers. What we've said to the government is, and, and we've maintained all along, is by looking at an absolute reduction in, in fertilizer use, you're basically putting a cap on farm productivity and uh, because you need fertilizer. We're not, we're not getting any more land, uh, as you know. Uh, we're needing to grow more on what we have or even less land, and in order to do that, you have to use more fertilizer. So what we've been saying to the government is we've got 
a plan in place. It's been ongoing for over a decade with farmers, and that's implementing uh, best farm management practices and specifically our 4R program. And, and your listeners would be very familiar with this because farmers right across this country has been imp- have been implementing um, nutrient stewardship practices uh, with regards to their use of fertilizer. And, and if we want to cut emissions, um, this 4R program is really where we need to focus our attention and, and giving farmers the tools and the incentives to, to adopt the program. Proud says if farmers were to follow the 4Rs, fertilizer emissions will be reduced. We know that the practices we've set out in the 4R program do reduce emissions. So some of those are, you know, using um, increased efficiency uh, fertilizer, uh, adopting practices uh, where you sort of place fertilizer, how it's used. Um, and there's lots of research that indicates adopting these practices will reduce emissions. Not likely to the extent that the government is is seeking if we want to continue or, or even increase our productivity on farm, which is, is sort of the, the challenge because on the one hand, the government wants us to grow more, um, but then they're telling us, uh, on the other hand, we can't use as much fertilizer and, and those two things don't, don't work together. So um, we need to find a more pragmatic approach and we need to, to really find an approach that works for farmers. She says that she is cautiously optimistic that the federal government may be open to making changes to the emissions target. Last year we were very concerned and and as I said, we sounded the alarm through this report that we um, had commissioned. Since then, we have seen the federal government changing its tone a little bit. So um, they have talked about and the minister has, has spoken about the fact that um, they don't want to curb productivity on farm. So that's, that's very important for us to hear. They still maintain that they're looking for an absolute reduction in fertilizer um, or, or emissions from fertilizer. But they've launched a consultation process, which is going to be completed at the end of August, seeking input on their proposal. And, and so we are... A, bit optimistic that when they get input from the various stakeholder groups, uh, they may have cause to rethink the approach a bit. And I think the mounting pressure from the provincial governments, as well as seeing what's going on elsewhere in the world, um, I think there's, there is some reason to, to think that um, perhaps the government may uh, take, a, take a different approach. Proud had one more thing to add about the new fertilizer emission reduction target. I think, you know, primarily the the concern and, and what gets a lot of people upset is that these policies are, are in part driven by uh, folks who have never set foot on a farm, who don't necessarily understand what the farmers are doing right now, um, because there's a lot of work being done uh, on farm to to manage emissions and and I that's not being taken into account. That was Karen Proud who is the president and CEO of Fertilizer Canada.
Time now for Real Agriculture with Sean Haney. Brought to you in part by Karst Holdings in Assiniboia and Schlamps Integra Tire in Grenfell. Your locally owned Integra Tire dealers on The Source 620 CKRM. This is your realagriculture.com update. Bring the energy of Real Ag Radio to your next customer meeting or conference. From your stage, we'll record an episode in person to inform and provide insight on the latest in agriculture. Email advertising at realagriculture.com to learn more about this unique keynote opportunity. Sean Haney here with realagriculture.com and Real Ag Radio, Rural Radio 147, Sirius XM. We're joined right now by Ben Carnivale. He's VP of Sales and Marketing at Blue Sky Hemp Ventures. I, I guess I would describe it as a bit of a transition. You know, hemp has uh, been in and out of favor over you know the past uh, number of years. It's not a new crop, but there's a lot of new interest in it. Let, let's talk about some of the, the shifting economies of growing hemp and, and why a grower may actually be interested in putting the crop in the rotation. Right. Um, you know, until now, hemp processors mainly use one part of the plant, you know, the seed for food uh, or the flower for CBD, leaving substantial waste. You know, Blue Sky has developed a process for full plant utilization to harness the full value of the grain. Um, we use the seed for food. We use the flower for extracts and we use the fiber herd for industrial applications. And that gives the um, benefit to not only the planet, but also the farmer for that biomass offtake. That's one of the main reasons why we're seeing a little more traction in hemp. Obviously, the sown amount of acreage out there is still lower than other um, agricultural crops. But, you know, slowly and surely, if you talk to our co-founders, we're going to get there. Yeah, so over, let's, let's look at the food market. Let's kind of start there in terms of one of the three uses. Is, is demand growing for hemp to be utilized in, in, in food products? Demand is growing for all plant-based products. So hemp being, you know, a really great ratio of, of fat and protein allows the seed to, to be pressed for oil and obviously have a concentrate of protein. As that market continues to develop, obviously it's a well-established market at 80 billion of, of oil sales, of plant-based oil sales, and roughly about 50 billion of protein sales, we found that hemp has a good standing or a good bearing within that framework. As the food scarcity or food insecurity happens globally, we're in a good position to be able to provide healthy, substantial growth of, 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 a, of a commodity like hemp to the masses. Um, so that's where we're seeing the pivot going is, you know, it's a sustainable crop, Sean, and it can be, um, it can definitely supplant a lot of the insecurity that's going on in the world today. In, in the past, you know, handful of years, there's been a lot of excitement around hemp and, and CBD. How how would you describe that market now here in, in Canada or, or even in the U.S.? Well, in the U.S., it, it's definitely much more developed. Um, it, it's not regulated by the FDA. And so there's a lot more um, versatility in the in the industry there. Um, prices are a lot different. The economics of scale are a lot different. In Canada, it's highly regulated, um, you know, which, which which can be a very good thing, uh, especially for testing and, 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 and understanding the product performance. Um, I, I think that the next stage for extracts as a whole, especially for the miners that are not uh, psychoactive, um, will be a natural health product status. Um, as Health Canada continues to research um, the natural benefits, uh, health benefits of these miners, such as CBD, CBN, um, we, we anticipate them making a decision and moving forward with a natural health product designation, which again will allow um, extracts 
to be um, over the counter to be able to be bought at your at your local um, you know grocery store or um, pharmacy without having to have a prescription or going into a uh, cannabis store uh, or buying from a cannabis store online. That, that seems like it would take a, a lot of regulatory costs out of the system and, and obviously making it a lot more available to the, the masses and prevent uh, you know 80-year-old grandma who's got some shoulder pain or some back pain that wants to try CBD, doesn't have to go to the cannabis store to get it, that, and maybe just go to Shoppers Drug Mart. That, that seems like a good thing for demand. That's a great thing for demand, you know, and, and it's a so walk, crawl, walk, run type of scenario. Um, we're, we're still behind even the walking part of it. Um, but but we do see some good indications that this will be coming through. Um, there, there are, there's a huge demand for um, natural-based alternatives to the medication that's prescribed for anything from anxiety all the way to sleep. But that would be the next big thing for not only hemp as a whole, but as a, a wellness product to be gaining much more momentum in the consumer marketplace. This has been your Real Agriculture Update. You can find out more about this issue or many others at realagriculture.com. This spring, apply pre-emergent edge microactive group three herbicide from Gowan Canada before seeding your canola, peas, or lentils. Maximize yield today and manage resistance tomorrow. Always read and follow label directions. From Gowan, Canada. The official 620 CKRM Farm Weather is brought to you by Shepherd Realty in Regina. Specializing in farm and ranch real estate in Saskatchewan, call Harry, Justin, or Devin at 352-1866 and Moose Jock Truck Shop, the number one choice for any diesel engine repair. Drop in, no appointment necessary, or visit moosejocktruckshop.com. Today there is a mix of sun and clouds with the wind gusting to 50 with a high of 23. And tonight the few clouds are going to continue with a low of 7. Tomorrow it's sunny with a high of 24 and a low of 10. On Friday it's sunny with the temperature rising to 28. And looking to the weekend on Saturday, Saturday we're going to see a high of 27. Sunday a high of 25 and on Saskatchewan Day a high of 30. The normal high for today is 26, and the normal low for today is 11 degrees. Sunrise was at 519 this morning, and sunset is scheduled for 851. Looking around the province at this hour, in Estevan, it's 19 degrees. Yorkton is the cold spot at 15 degrees. Swift Current comes in at 21 degrees. Moose Jaw at 20. Weyburn at 19. And in Regina, it's 20 degrees. We'll be back in a moment. This portion of Saskatchewan Agriculture Today is brought to you by McDougal Auctioneers. Get fair market value for your assets with an online auction through McDougal Auctioneers, McDougalAuctions.com, and brought to you by Patterson Liquid Systems, experts in liquid fertilizer distribution, fertilizers just better when it's wetter. Patterson Liquid Systems, expect the best. Bison producers are beginning to adopt smart technology in managing their herds, whether it be drones or wireless fencing. Dr. John Church is a professor of natural resource science at Thompson Rivers University in Kamloops. CJWW's Agriculture Director Neil Billinger spoke to him earlier this month at an international bison convention in Saskatoon. I would say almost all of the technologies that's currently being developed for cows, uh, the smart technology can absolutely be uh, used on bison. You know, we haven't had as many examples where we've tried it on bison, but I'm pretty confident whether it's an ear tag or a drone or a, a smart bolus, uh, the technology will likely work on both. 
Let's start off with the drones. Uh, how do they help bison producers and are many bison producers starting to move in that direction? Drones have really come a long ways in the last five years since, since my last convention. I gave a talk on drones. What really drones do is they give us this tremendous ability to extend our vision. But in the last five years, just the flight times, the cost, everything's improved. So, you know, I, I have drones now that, that I can fly well over half an hour even up to 40 minutes, which, you know, when I started, I was happy to get seven minutes. And they are really good at not crashing now. So a lot of them have active collision avoidance built in. But the, the advantage is, is it you can even use the drones if you want to herd the animals. I don't really like using them for that because then they feel they have to run away from the drone. Where I see the real value is it makes it so much easier to get your eyes on the animal and to see what's going on. Or check your fence lines, check your waterers. Anytime we can monitor our animals more closely, it really improves our management. Another smart technology is the wireless fencing. Tell us about that. It's a technology I'm really excited about. So we know now we've got some examples where people are doing managed grazing, where they're they're using uh, electric fencing, and they've done that in bison as well as cattle. But, but you can kind of keep them confined to a... a, a a tighter area to internally within the ranch so that they get better pasture utilization and so not only do they eat you know improves your forage production but you're probably also uh, sequestering more carbon they, it helps to build soil uh, but it's a lot of work to move that fence every day and the fence line now with some of the new wireless collars they can just be a line on somebody's computer the the, the the collar that sits around their neck it's got a battery and it's solar powered and it gives it tone as they get close to the imaginary fence line and if they keep going, they get about the same amount of a, a, a jolt as they would get from the, the, the typical polywire electric fence and, and they learn really quickly. At least the, the beef cows I've worked with, uh, training them seems to be no problem and, and I'm really shocked uh, it's 100% effective right now. That was Dr. John Church, who is a professor of natural resource science at Thompson Rivers University, in his chat with Neil Billinger from CJWW. This segment of Saskatchewan Agriculture Today is brought to you by Dagelman Industries. Look to Dagelman for the most reliable, dependable, engineered tough equipment on the market and Arcola Building Supplies. Small town lumber yard, big on service, ArcolaBuildingSupplies.com. Shipping companies are not rushing to export millions of tons of grain trapped in Ukraine despite a breakthrough deal to provide safe corridors through the Black Sea. That is because explosive mines are drifting in the waters, ship owners are assessing the risks, and still many have questions over how the deal will unfold. The complexities of the agreement have set off a slow, cautious start, but it's only good for 120 days, and the clock began ticking last week. The goal over the next four months is to set some 20 million tons of grain out of three Ukrainian seaports blocked since Russia's February 24th invasion. That provides time for about four to five large bulk carriers per day to transport grain from the ports to millions of impoverished people worldwide facing hunger. It also provides ample time for things to go awry. Only hours after signing the agreement on Friday, Russian missiles struck Ukrainian's port of Odessa, one of those included in the agreement. Another key element of the deal offers assurances that shipping and insurers carrying Russian grain and fertilizer will not get caught in the wider net of Western sanctions. But the agreement brokered by Turkey and the UN is running up against the reality of how difficult and risky the pact will be to carry out. 
Getting wheat and other food is critical to farmers in the Ukraine who are running out of storage capacity amidst a new harvest. Those grains are vital to millions of people in Africa, parts of the Middle East and South Asia who are already facing food shortages and, in some cases, famine. Ukraine and Russia are key global suppliers of wheat, barley, corn and sunflower oil, with fighting in the Black Sea region known as the breadbasket of the world, pushing up food prices, threatening political stability in developing nations and leading countries to ban some food exports, worsening the crisis. The deal stipulates that Russia and Ukraine will provide maximum insurances for ships that brave the journey through the Black Sea to the Ukrainian ports. Turkey's defense minister said today that demining the waters was not immediately required, but the plans for it could be made later if mandated. Ukrainian officials have expressed hope that exports could resume from one port within days, but they have also said that it could take two weeks for all three to become operational again. Experts in Ukraine are working on determining safe routes for the ships. The war has wreaked havoc on global trade, stranding over 100 ships in Ukraine's many ports. Your market update is brought to you by Freeze Tommen. Don't put off your summer projects. Freeze Tommen offers delivery to your rural or lake country property and brought to you by Sass Pork. Perfect pork is our passion, our promise. Learn more at sasspork.com. Looking at the Viterra price quotes, Durham came in this morning at 399.68. Feed barley 282.87. Canola up at 5.9 points to 793.12. Chickpeas at 970.04. Flax at 762.67. Lentils at 743.50. Oats at 321.53. Yellow peas at 467.06. Feed wheat at 330.30. And one red spring wheat was down 8.31 points to 404.54. Grain prices can be found online at 620ckrm.com. The livestock quotes are brought to you by Weyburn Livestock Exchange. Call Weyburn at 842-4574. Now here are the latest livestock quotes. This is the market report for the Weyburn Livestock Exchange for the week of July 26th. Our last regular sale was on July 20th. D1 and D2 cows sold from $1.10 to $1.20. D3 cows sold from $0.95 cents to $1.10. Counter cows sold from $0.60 cents to $0.80. Cents. Heiferettes sold from $1.25 to $1.53. And good butcher bulls sold from $1.25 to $1.43. We didn't have enough steers or heifers in any one weight break to establish an accurate price quotation, but what we did have sold well. This has been Stephanie Digg reporting from the Weyburn Livestock Exchange, the market that gets cattle and the prices too. Coming up next after the break, it's the Resource Report. This is the Saskatchewan Resource Report on 620 CKRM. Sitting in for Jim Smalley, here's Tanner Wallace-Gribner. Now the Resource Report brought to you by Second Look Online Auction. Visit secondlookonlineauction.com to see what's up for bid and brought to you by Western Egg Professional Agronomy. If you want to make cropping decisions with confidence, visit growmoreprofit.com. SASTEL has announced that it's investing approximately $10 million to install Samsung radio access network equipment and significantly improve the 4G LTE data capacity of its wireless network that serves 30 rural communities. SASTEL has already begun this work to upgrade these towers and anticipates the majority of upgrades will be completed by the end of March of next year. 
These upgrades will increase the 4G LTE data capacity in each of the communities by over 100%. The added capacity will ensure that SaskTel wireless customers can continue to fully utilize their smartphones without being slowed by network congestion. On the markets, the TSX is down 217 points to 19,189. The Dow Jones is down 100 points to 31,867. And oil is down 201 to $76.67 per barrel. The Canadian dollar is down 1 one-hundredth of a cent to $77.79 U.S. That's the Resource Report, and if you missed any segment of the show, tune in to the on-demand Saskatchewan Agriculture Today podcast, brought to you by Gowan Canada. Gowan Canada understands the challenges that growers face and takes pride in finding effective crop protection solutions. Visit GowanCanada.com to learn more. That's Saskatchewan Agriculture Today. I've been Tanner Waldus-Scribner. This podcast brought to you by Gowan Canada, makers of Edge Microactive Pre-Emergent Herbicide.